0: Hello, welcome back to season two of the Machete and Quill podcast. This is the final episode of this season and this book. This season, we've been reading the novella The Witch of Farathon. If you're joining us for the first time and haven't listened to or read the first book in the series, The Forest of Despair, don't worry, The Witch of Farathon can easily be enjoyed as a standalone novella with no knowledge of the other books in the series required. Just make sure to start at chapter one of season two and listen in order. You can always go back to season one and listen to the entire novel of The Forest of Despair after. Being a novella, this will be a pretty quick read through. It's uh, been 13 chapters, one per week. It took about three months, and this is the final episode. If you would like to support my writing endeavors, please purchase my books at RyanHoitAuthor.com or on Amazon or any other online bookstores. My fantasy books include Gemma Calvertson and the Forest of Despair, the new sequel novel, The Isle of Abandonment, this prequel novella, The Witch of Farathon, and the final book coming in late 2024 called The Realm Beyond. If you enjoy horror, I have a novel called Raven Tree Hollow and four short story chapbooks that you can find right now on Amazon in ebook and paperback formats, or on Kindle Unlimited. Stay tuned after this chapter for a behind-the-scenes look at the creation of the story. I will also talk about the potential future of this show. Thank you so much for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. Previously on The Witch of Farathon, Nalia Lunara was arrested for crimes against the town that she did not commit, while her accuser, priest Aaron, pulls strings behind the scenes. Meanwhile, giant creatures called Ogressi attack the town, destroying buildings and killing villagers. Among them, Nalia's new husband Gethin Debarak struggles as he attempts to reach the mansion at the edge of town where Nalia is set to be executed. He never makes it, instead dying alone in the park that Nalia loved so much. The Witch of Farathon, an Epistel Chronicles novella by Ryan Hoyt, chapter 13. People of Farathon, as destruction rages throughout our town, as our homes and businesses are destroyed by monsters that were called here to harm us, I stand before you to sentence a witch to death, Mayor Coran Wilder said. She came here to take our lives, but instead she will give up her own. The crimes she committed against each of us are minimal compared to what she would have done were it not for the brave Aaron, priest of Selenderon, who risked his own health and safety to inform us of the true nature of Nalia Lunara. She is a witch of the Azelda. She is a parasite who feeds off the lives of others to prolong her own. Well, now her reign of terror will come to an end. "'How do you know she's the evil one?' Callista Centros yelled. "'Aye, she's walked among us for days and been nothing but lovely,' Mr. Fielder called out. "'Why believe this strange man?' Part of the crowd sounded off in agreement, but the majority yelled back. "'Try telling that to my husband and his crew,' Shelby Harpon shouted. "'You can't because they all perished at the hands of the Ogressi on their hunting trip right after that wench showed up in town.'" And my chicken's all dead, said a farmer. My crops, too. I think the Deverack farm is the one with the least damage. How's that a coincidence? Those who opposed the execution lost their courage to disagree any longer. The coincidences were indeed far too great. In between the grotesque statues, in the center of the path that led up to the Farathon Manor, stood the makeshift gallows that Bernal Wilder and a few of the constable's deputies had hastily constructed that morning. It was there, in the shadow of the castle-like estate, that Nalia Lunara was thrust forward. Her hands were tied behind her back with a rope. A smaller piece of rope had been tied around her face and between her teeth, preventing her from speaking. Bernal and Deputy Boyd lifted her onto a barrel. They lowered the noose over her head until it hooked under her chin. Aaron stepped toward the gallows. While screams and monstrous growls and sounds of destruction rang out from the town behind them, those who were gathered at the manor hushed to hear the priest speak. Good citizens, I thank you for welcoming me into your humble town. I am grateful that you have listened to reason. I have long followed the destructive trail of Nalia Lunara, I have seen the blood and barrenness she has left in her wake. I have failed time and time again to catch up to her and stop her from hurting anyone else. That is, until now. We have done it together. We have captured her, and we will stop her from committing any more evil deeds. You will see it momentarily when her last breath escapes her body. The killing will stop. The giants will abandon your town. You will rebuild and live better lives than ever before. Selenderon, Lord of the ever-giving Sun, creator of life and light, whom I serve with all of my being, will look upon you all with great favor. You will bow down to his greatness once this act is complete and you see what he has done for you. Now, let us finish this. A low murmuring rippled throughout the crowd at the mention of bowing down to Selenderon. The people of Farathon had never worshipped any god, and they weren't about to change that. Aaron of Estoron realized this, and he wasted no time in making sure the deed was done. He turned to Nalia and kicked the barrel out from under her. The wood of the gallows groaned as the rope pulled taut from Nalia's weight. Her strangled breathing was audible despite the gag in her mouth. Her legs flailed wildly but could not gain purchase. As the townspeople looked on, they witnessed a transformation. Nalia was rapidly aging. Her red hair faded to gray and then to white. It thinned out before their eyes. Her belly swelled as if she were pregnant and then flattened again in seconds. Her skin suddenly wrinkled and sagged, and she seemed to shrink several inches. No longer was she the young beauty they had all admired. She was something else altogether, as she neared death at the end of the rope. Suddenly a sound cut through the gasps of the crowd, the hooves of a horse, three horses. Stop, "Stop," the man yelled from the first horse. Cut her down from there. Germaine Fielder sped toward the gallows where the mayor, her husband, the constable, the deputy, and the priest all stood as if to guard the woman hanging behind them. At the last second, all but one jumped out of the way. Germaine's horse plowed into Bernal Wilder. Germaine reached out and lifted Nalia as the horse skidded to a stop. With the pressure off her neck, she struggled to draw a slight breath through her collapsing windpipe. He pulled the noose over her head and removed the gag from her mouth. Jermaine's father and a couple of other men ran up and helped him lower Nalia to the ground. Free from the rope, Nalia began to whisper something that Jermaine could not understand. Before his eyes, some of Nalia's color returned to her ancient skin. She turned over and vomited blood. She got to her knees, then to her feet. She took two steps forward before the crowd heard the footsteps approaching from behind them. One by one, they turned away from Nalia and looked toward the gates of the estate. There was Sana Fielder, struggling to carry a man in her arms. It's Gethin Deverak, someone yelled. Several people rushed over to Sana and helped lower Gethin to the ground. He's not breathing. His lungs finally got him this time. They looked at Sana, who wept but could not speak. "'He's dead,' Mrs. Fielder cried from the other side of the crowd. "'No!' Nalia screamed. She pushed through the crowd in spite of the pain in her aged joints. She reached Gethin's body and collapsed against him, weeping. Aaron stepped toward Constable Buckland and the deputy and yelled, "'Grab her! Don't let her get away with yet another death!' They started to make for Nalia." But Germaine grabbed each of them by the shoulder. No, gentlemen. The only murderer in this place is standing right there. Germaine pointed to the priest. Aaron laughed. Of course the man is sticking up for his best friend's wife. But blaming a man of the cloth? That's ridiculous, Mr. Fielder. Everyone knows I would not hurt a fly. It would be an abomination to my lord, Celandron. Ask those children, then. Germain pointed to the teenage boy and the young girl who had ridden in alongside him. "'That is Alex and Rabia Glent of Vulture Hollow. They are the only two survivors after Aaron massacred their town. They'll tell you everything you need to know about this evil filth here.' Aaron looked at the children with recognition, and the fear on his face was clear to everyone. Nali Lunara corrupted their town. I wanted to wash them with the light of the Lord. I tried to get them to repent, to accept His rule, but they refused. I could not let them live on in their evil ways. It was Nalia who corrupted them. Once they rejected Lord Slenderon, only blood would cleanse them. I did what I had to. The crowd parted behind Germain as Nalia rose from Gethin's side and made her way toward Erun. He took one look at the anguish on her face, turned and started running for the east gate of Farathon Manor. Nalia lifted her old, gnarled hands, as if to cast an incantation upon him, but Sana darted forward and grabbed her by the shoulders. Please, Nalia, Sana whispered. There's been enough death. Don't make them fear you any more than they already do. Let that despicable man run off. He'll find nothing but loneliness and self-destruction. Nalia turned and faced Sana. They were both grieving the loss of the same man. "'I loved Gethin,' Nalia cried. "'I truly loved him. I may have come into this town with the intent of taking what life I could, but when I saw him on that first night, I knew he was someone special. Somehow I just knew. I wanted to do things right this time. I wanted to be normal, have a family, live a real life, and I could see all of that happening with Gethin. I didn't want to hurt anyone. I took what I needed to survive. I robbed livestock and even the crops of their essence to prolong my own life, but I never did anything to hurt the people here. It was Erin who caused these attacks against Farathon. She leaned into Sana and released all of her tears. Below, the agressi were still ravaging the town. The armory, yelled Mayor Wilder from her husband's side. Bernal was bruised but otherwise uninjured from Germain's horse. We have the old weaponry. We can take the aggressi down together. The people of Farathon murmured to one another, but no one dared to move. It was Sana who stepped away from Nalia and walked toward the mayor. Germaine followed. As the mayor led them toward the armory that stood beside the manor, the rest of the town turned and followed suit. As everyone cleared out, Nalia walked to Gethin's side and dropped to her knees. She began several different healing incantations she had learned during her hundreds of years of life. But each time she realized there was no hope. None of them could truly restore a life that had already been lost. She was powerless. She put her head down on Gethin's lifeless chest and wept. Light footsteps approached her. Nalia looked up to find Rabia, the young girl from Vulture Hollow, standing over her, Alex not far behind. Rabia put a hand on Nalia's shoulder and spoke. I'm sorry about your friend. As am I. It's not just him I lost though. He planted a baby inside of me. It grew and died on the vine within while I was hanging up there. Nalia wept some more as Rabia gently ran her fingers through the elderly woman's hair. She wiped away her tears and turned back to the girl. And I'm sorry about your family and the rest of your town, Nalia said. I didn't want them to get hurt. I don't want these people to get hurt either. Behind them, the people of Barathon were emerging from the armory, decked out in mail that didn't properly fit, carrying rusted swords and other decaying weaponry. They were a sorry bunch, but they were doing everything they could to protect what was theirs. Every glare they shot at Nalia seemed to stab into her. She hunched back down to the ground as if in pain. And then the footsteps approaching her doubled and redoubled. Nalia looked up in spite of the hatred all around her. Coming up behind the adults were all the children of Farathon. Instead of terror or loathing, the youth looked upon her with sadness and wonder. They walked past their parents and stopped behind Alex and Rabia. Nalia stood tall in front of them. There must be something you can do, right? Rabia asked. Nalia gazed into the girl's eyes. You are wise, child. Perhaps you are right. I can do something. I can protect them. I can stop the beasts from ravaging Farathon. But I must have your horses, and I'm sorry for what you're all about to see. Alex ran over to where he had tied the horses to a gate. The other children parted to make room as he led the horses to Nalia. She put one hand on each of the animals. "'Turn away, children,' she suggested. Most listened, but Alex and Rabia continued to watch as Nalia spoke words in her native tongue. The skin of the horses began to compress, their bones nearly piercing through the tight flesh. At the same time, some of the color returned to Nalia's hair. Her posture straightened. She finished the incantation, removed her hands from the horses, and turned back to the children. The woman in front of them was not quite as young as the woman Gethin had fallen in love with, and King Harold before him, nor was she the old hag who had walked away from the gallows just minutes ago. She was something in between. Behind her, the horses whinnied. Much of their essence seemed to have been removed, but they were alive. Mayor Wilder led the armed citizens toward the gates where Nalia stood. As much as she had changed, she was still recognizable. Everyone murmured in shock at how the woman had transformed yet again. I am sorry for what I had to take from these animals to look this way. It will be the last time I take essence from a life to reverse my aging, but there are other ways I can stay the same age and serve as your protector, if you will allow me to do so. I can end this attack on Farathon and protect the town, if that is your will, but I am afraid it will come at a cost. The ground began to shake as the Ogressi made their way from the outskirts of town toward the manor. The people looked down the hill to find two dozen beasts ready to attack. "'And what is this bargain you would like to make with us?' Mayor Wilder asked. Nalia looked to Rabia and Alex and the town's youth. Their confidence and trust in her seemed to revive her more than whatever trick she had used with the animals. She turned her attention back to the adults. "'I can protect Ferathon from any and all threats,' I can keep these Ogressi away from the town. I can keep famine from consuming your crops, stop predators from attacking your livestock. I can shut out unwanted visitors so you will never again encounter someone like Aaron of Esteron, who intends to do you harm. But in exchange, I need something to keep my body from aging for the duration of this pact, and I need a place to reside." And what exactly is it that you are asking for? The mayor asked. No more of your witchy games. I am asking for your children, all the children of Farathon. I will not harm them, but I will prevent them and all of Farathon from aging. I will consume those years for my own preservation as I protect this town. We will need Farathon Manor. There I will reside with the children, whom I will care for as my own. Barathon will be safe and prosperous. Your children will never age, never get sick, never die under my watch. When my covenant is fulfilled, then the hold will be released, and you can live on as normal. The beasts were at the gates. They crashed through the low fence, which wasn't designed to keep giants out. Farmers, shopkeepers, housewives, and bakers alike raised their swords and charged at the Ogressi but they quickly found they were no match for the giants. In mere minutes, they would all be destroyed. Mayor Wilder turned to Nalia with reluctance. You have a deal, she said. Just put an end to this now. Nalia nodded to her, then turned and walked up the path toward the manor. As people screamed in pain behind her, Nalia laid hands on the grotesque statues one by one. She again whispered in her indecipherable language. "'Everybody get out of the way!' she screamed. The people turned and saw the odd creatures spring to life for the second time in only a few days. The wretched things lunged for the Ogressi and began to tear the giants apart. It was a bloodbath. Two Ogressi escaped together into the eastern hills known as the Fingers, but all the others all lost their lives on the grounds of Farathon Manor that day. When the last one fell, everyone listened for more chaos in the town below, but there was only silence. They let out a cheer for their safety, a cheer for Nalia Lunara. Under a full moon, they celebrated their new covenant, and the next day, they began to rebuild. For over 70 years, Nalia kept her word and served as their protector. As she had promised, nobody aged during those years. Nobody got sick or died. The crops grew in abundance, and the animals on the farms multiplied. The children remained in Nalia’s care, and the town stood undisturbed. Neither Aaron nor the Ogressi ever returned to bring harm to the people under the protection of the witch of Farathon. All right, well, that was chapter 13 of The Witch of Farathon by me, Brian Hoyt, here on the Machete and Quill podcast. The final chapter, that's right, we completed the entire novella so soon. I don't always know the ending of a story when I set out to write it. In this case though, I was trying to fit everything neatly into place to line up with what is described about Farathon and Nalia in my first novel, The Forest of Despair, which takes place about 75 years later. I didn't want to leave it at a place where you can assume that Nalia went off and had other adventures before returning back to Farathon to take her place at Ferathon Manor with all the children. It all had to be set in stone right here. Obviously, I wrote this a couple years before the Obi-Wan TV show came out on Disney Plus, but what that show did is exactly what I did not want to do with Nalia. There was no way I was going to leave room for her to go out and fight other enemies and other lands and have other adventures and then come back and retrap this town into an identical curse. Basically, she goes into the manor at the end of this story with the children and never emerges for the next 75-ish years, letting her magic or her curse do its work. The adults in the town go on and live their weird, boring lives without their children with the illusion of safety and never aging, but also never being truly happy. It's kind of a sad tale, a tragedy really, but that's kind of the point. That's what the true power of Gemma Calvertson's arrival into the town and the liberation of the people and the ridding of the curse really means uh, for them in the Forest of Despair. So there are some more Easter eggs here. The children, Alex and Rabia, who we met in an earlier chapter and came back in this chapter, uh, they are present in the Forest of Despair. They're some of the kids that greet Gemma Calvertson and her friends when they first arrive at Farathon Manor and even help fight alongside Gemma and her friends in the final battle of that book. Even though that story is set around 75 years later, they're still the same age there as they are here in the Witch of Arathon. And while priest Aaron does not return, we will continue to explore the religion that he bastardized, the on Faith, in later books. It looks nothing like the dark and violent version that he practices, which is setting up some of the events of the Isle of Abandonment in which his version of the faith has morphed into a dark, shadow-worshipping cult. He is presumably long dead by then, but his name and his teachings are mentioned by characters in that book, The Isle of Abandonment. Even the armory in this story comes back into play in the Forest of Despair when Gemma, Arnim, and Denny go out to face the aggressing. Um, Make sure to go back and listen to season one of this podcast if you haven't already heard The Forest of Despair, or if you haven't read it, go ahead and buy The Forest of Despair on ebook, paperback, or hardcover. Well, I was very happy with how the story came out, especially since I wrote it in only three weeks, as I previously mentioned on this show, followed by a couple of quick weeks of revisions, beta reader feedback, editing, and a professional copy line editor. I hope I could put together more stories as quickly as this, in the future. I've come close with some of my short stories, which I released in chapbooks, individually, and hope to put them out in a collection when I have a few more completed. If you enjoyed The Witch of Barathon, I hope that you will go seek out my other short works and the other books in the Epistle Chronicles series. I'm not sure what will happen with this show next, just as I didn't know I would ever do a season two. And I ended up reading you The Witch of Farathon. Depending on the reaction and listenership of this season, it is possible that I will go on to read more of my works for you here on the show. If you want to hear more, please send me a message on social media or email me at Ryan at Ryanhoyauthor.com and let me know what you think and let me know so I know that you were listening. Thank you so much for listening to this season. You can find my books and stories in paperback, hardcover, or ebook at ryanhoytauthor.com slash shop or on Amazon or other online retailers. Thank you for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. The songs on the podcast are all original compositions and recordings by me. I have been your host, Ryan Hoyt. Goodbye for now, and take care.